I know nobody's listening to this for uh, news or takes on the world of Catholicism. Got to talk about what interests me. If it doesn't interest you, don't listen. Remember that? Remember those days? Now, I'm not saying anybody's trying to get me canceled. I've already been canceled. Turns out, can't cancel somebody twice. But these days, if we don't like what somebody says, we want to censor them, we want to get them fired, <clears throat> we want them to issue groveling public apologies, we want to get them to submit to struggle sessions. When I was growing up, you don't like what is being said on the TV or the radio, turn the channel or turn it off. It's not, it's not the rest of society's responsibility to cater to your offended sensibilities. I think it was better. Now, most things in the old days weren't better. For the most part, we're better off now. But I think that was better. Pope Francis issued a uh, letter reinstating the restrictions on the Latin Mass that had been in effect from roughly, I guess, the end of uh, the Second Vatican Council in the mid-60s until 2007 when Pope Benedict XVI lifted those restrictions. What is this, if you don't know what it is? The Mass for, I don't know, a thousand years or so before the Second Vatican Council was said in Latin. There's a good reason for this. Latin is a dead language. It's not spoken anymore, except by academics. So it's perfect for the liturgy because dead languages don't change. The meaning of a word 500 years ago is going to be the same 500 years after that and 500 more years in the future. The reason I imagine it changed in the first place was because there were probably a lot of people who didn't know Latin and couldn't be bothered to learn, even liturgical Latin, and were just kind of coasting through the mass, not understanding what they were saying or why they were saying it. That's my guess. So since the Second Vatican Council, uh, the mass has been said in the local language. And there were other changes as well. Uh, you can always tell where somebody stands kind of politically in the church by how they describe this. But if they're, if they're on the pro-Vatican II side, I'm on neither side, by the way, as is often the case. But if they're on the pro-Vatican II side, they'll say, the priest stood with his back to the congregation. If they're on the pro-Latin mass side, they'll say the priest stood facing the altar. So, so it's all framing, right? It's like pro-life, pro-choice. They both sound really good, don't they? <laughs> it's all framing. So anyway, uh, Pope Benedict lifted those restrictions. And I think part of the reason he probably did that was because there were groups, the, the best known was the Society of uh, St. Pius X, there were groups that were effectively in schism uh, with, with the Catholic Church over Latin, over other issues. And I think that Benedict was, was hoping to heal some of those divisions. Uh, so I think even with those restrictions, I believe priests still needed 
I might be wrong about this, but I believe priests still needed the local bishop's uh, permission to celebrate the mass in that form, the Tridentine mass, as opposed to the new one, which is the Novus Ordo. I don't know Latin, so I'm probably pronouncing all of these wrong. Uh, I'm not a Latin mass guy. I've never been to one. The closest it, it came was after those restrictions were lifted by Pope Benedict, our, our priest here in our local parish uh, did a kind of Latin mass, but it was it seemed to me most of it was still in English, and I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, but anyway, uh, when uh, Trump was elected, one of the things a lot of people said, and I was one of them, was part of how you could explain his election was uh, his opponent's utter complete, total disregard for his appeal. It was just a matter of smearing his supporters as racist. That's really what it came down to. There was no serious attempt that I ever saw coming from the left to address and rebut all those, all those reasons why his supporters supported him. I think it's really important to get into the mindset as much as you can of your political enemies or even just people maybe who aren't your enemies at all, but just who you don't understand. So for me, having never been to a traditional Latin mass, having never met, as far as I know, anyone who attends one, um, all I see is what is online. And what I see online from the Latin mass supporters, and this is you know any group, if you only see the online version of any group, you're going to see the absolute worst of them. So I'm not suggesting that they're all like this, but it's it's a very bitter, angry, judgmental, uh, um, more Catholic than the Pope, uh, holier than thou kind of attitude that you see. Lot of lot of anger, lot of anger. These do not come across like people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, they seem like Pharisees, really. So, uh, so I, it's it's hard to sympathize with them, even though, if pressed, I would acknowledge that it's probably better to have uh, the liturgy in Latin. Um, it's probably better to have the priest facing the altar and the tabernacle. Uh, but uh, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And here in our diocese, there is, as far as I've ever been able to tell, there is one Latin mass celebrated regularly, and it's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's some ungodly hour. It's like seven or eight in the morning and like an hour drive from here. I would never do that. Um, when the restrictions were first lifted, there was one in Madison, but I don't, I don't think that's said anymore. So these people are very angry. Now let's get into their heads if we can. Because I spoke last time about the uh, announcement by the U.S. bishops that they were going to uh, put together a teaching document. They had voted on whether or not they were going to do this. This is just, it's like, it's like uh, the Mr. T experience song about Gilman Street. They're going to vote on whether they're going to vote kind of thing. This is how things work in the, in the church. It's just bureaucracy at work. So uh, they're going to put out a teaching document on the Eucharist, reception of the Eucharist, communion. 
this all started because, uh, in part, because uh, prominent Catholic politicians who are also very pro-abortion, not just supporting abortion rights, but supporting policies that, that wanted to continue to expand those rights. Um, and this was causing confusion among people. Well, is it, can you be you know, that actively pro-abortion and, and still receive communion in spite of the fact that the, the church considers that to be a mortal sin? So the document was erroneously reported as essentially an atta a political attack on Joe Biden. It's, it's not. It's a, it's a teaching document designed to help the faithful. That includes Joe Biden, but, it, but I think the main focus actually wasn't the politicians themselves, but, um, but all the people who are seeing this and going, okay, what do I make of this? Um, so uh, if you are a Latin Mass attending... Orthodox Catholic, let's say Orthodox instead of conservative, because conservative, it's very hard for people to not think in political terms. And there's overlap. I mean, what, what you would call conservative Catholics uh, often are very conservative politically and often give the impression, as do liberal Catholics in their own way, that, that they're, they're fine with religion just as long as it, it lines up with their politics. You get the feeling that if they had to if they had to give one up, religion would be the first to go. But let's say Orthodox. So you're an Orthodox Latin Mass attending Catholic, and you see this, that the, the bishops are going to do this. And you've thought up until now the bishops are spineless. You know, they don't, they don't care about teaching the true faith. Now, again, you ask me, I, I don't, it seems to me that the, the more conservative or Orthodox side of, of, Catholicism is filled with an awful lot of worrying about what other people are doing and saying. You know, why aren't the why aren't the bishops speaking up? You know, the rise of this complete lunatic priest in the Diocese of La Crosse here in Wisconsin, uh, Father James Altman, was entirely based on what was fundamentally not a not a a spiritual or religious uh, set of convictions he was espousing, but by political. And the line gets blurred a lot. I understand that. But this is, he was supported by people who were like asking, why don't priests preach more about, you know, the things that matter, abortion and this and that and the other thing. And my answer to that is, why do you care that much? If, if I mean, you already believe it, so why do you need to hear it? You think other people need to hear it. But, it, but the question is, is that desire for other people to hear it coming from genuine charity in your heart, you know, genuine Christian charity that your brothers and sisters need to hear the truth. This is just coming from the fact that you want everybody to think like you and you're mad that, that priests sometimes preach about things that, that you don't think are important. I mean, it's, it's basically when, when in doubt in that situation, I think keeping your mouth shut is probably the best way to go. But this guy was out, you know, railing against the COVID restrictions and this and that and the other thing. You know, we have a real problem in this country with, with Christians in this sense, that we have an unbelievable sense of entitlement. Now, if you're me and you came up in punk rock and you came up growing up the way I did and having the experiences that I did when I was young and basically being an outsider my whole life, you don't, it, it's not a natural step to believe or assume that your society should reflect your values and should be supportive of your choices. 
Just that that's just happened to be the way the cards were dealt. That's the way things worked out for me. That I have always been at odds and I've never had any expectation that society is going to be my buddy when I make a decision about how I'm going to live my life. And I find it incredibly arrogant that so many Christians and so many Catholics in particular uh, have that expectation. And so um, there, we develop this idea that, that society has an obligation of sorts to, to reflect our beliefs. And I think that's craziness. And I think if we had that kind of society, those people would probably be the first to hate it. <laughs> you know? But uh, because it wouldn't turn out the way they think it would. Uh, but uh, so I, I, I don't. And the other thing is, you know, it, we have no concept anymore of sacrifice in our religious life and in our culture right now. We think everything should be the way we want it when we want it. <laughs> we, you know, to me, from a Christian point of view, Christ promised us that we would all have our cross to bear and that we would be persecuted. So to sit around complaining that, that you know, that things are all screwed up in society and that people don't like us because of our faith, like, what did you expect? This is what you were promised. Man up. Quit whining. I don't get it. So I, I'm just, the, the point of this is just to say, I don't really get this mindset of people who feel as though things were great and now suddenly we're besieged. You know, this culture war mentality that, that, uh, that we're constantly under attack. I mean, that's probably true in a sense, but who cares is, is my, like, you, you got to expect that. If, if these glory days or these salad days or whatever you want to call them ever really did exist, which I think is very doubtful, they're long gone. The culture war is over, you know? So I, I, I think a lot of this is just people um, tying politics and religion together, which is, which is really started to take root in the 80s, I think, under Reagan. There was a cultural change there. Um, in any case, so you're this, you're this kind of person. You, you're Orthodox. You go to the Latin Mass. You're very concerned about the things that are preached from the pulpit. You're very concerned that people are receiving communion when they probably shouldn't be, all this. And then this document comes out, and you go, finally, you know, the, the bishops show a little backbone. And within a fortnight, the pope issues a document or a letter reinstituting the restrictions on the Latin mass. I mean, your head's going to explode. You're going to say, yeah. Now, the Vatican, this is an important point. The Vatican had apparently sent a letter to the U.S. bishops before they made the decision to uh, create this teaching document, which has yet to be released. They've only made the announcement about it. But the Vatican had said, we don't think this is a good idea. And, you know, there were people on the other side saying, this is weaponizing the Eucharist, we shouldn't do this. Um, so you know that the Vatican didn't support this, but the bishops did it anyway. And within a fortnight, the Pope says, yeah, well, I'm, I'm reinstituting the, uh, 
the restrictions on the Latin Mass. Your head's going to explode. You're going to feel absolutely persecuted, personally attacked. Now, is that what happened? I really very much doubt it. Things in the Vatican move at an absolute snail's pace. There is no way on earth they're going to turn around a document in two weeks like that. Number one. Number two, whatever you think of the Pope, I don't think he's a, a vindictive baby, which, which is what he would have to be in order to do something like that. I mean, this was clearly something that had been in the works for a while. But from a purely political point of view, let's look at it just from a political point of view. Let's treat it as though, as though this is any other issue that would have come up in American culture. Let's forget about all the religious side of it for a second um, to the extent that we can. Politically, it looks terrible. Politically, the timing is awful. It couldn't be worse. And it does reinforce the notion, and I don't think it's intentional, but it reinforces the notion that there are these warring factions within the church it does nothing to um, move towards restoring unity. And, uh, and ultimately, I think that uh, whatever criticisms you have of the U.S. bishops, and boy, there should be a lot of them. There should be a lot of them. But there are also a lot of good bishops. You know, our, our bishop here in Madison is a good man. And uh, I think for the most part, they resist the urge to get political. Um, I think for the most part they're doing their jobs as they as they should be done, but uh, but that temptation to politicize everything I mean that's our culture now. We do this with everything, and again I'm aware that when you see people online you're seeing the worst versions of them, and especially when it, when you're talking about a group, you know now you're seeing the worst versions of that group. But I find it fascinating. Um, I feel bad for for the people who. Um, are actually losing something. I'm not sure how much they actually are losing. I know our bishop here in Madison, uh, Donald Hying, uh, issued a letter almost immediately saying that for now, there were going to be, uh, everybody celebrating that could celebrate it as, as um, could continue as they had been, and that there may be some, some small changes in the future, but that for now, the only change was going to be that uh, that the gospel, or maybe all three of the readings, had to be proclaimed in English uh, rather than in Latin, which seems very reasonable to me. I didn't know that at a Latin mass the readings were said in Latin. That's crazy. It's one thing to have liturgical Latin in a liturgy that, that doesn't really fundamentally change. I mean, yeah, probably it, it must, it does, during the, um, the seasons of Advent and Lent and, and Easter and Christmas, but it's, it's, you know, you can learn it probably pretty quickly, and it's not going to vary from week to week uh, very much. Whereas the readings are on a three-year cycle, and there's no way on earth you're going to know what the heck is being said unless you're following along with an English text, in which case, why proclaim it in Latin at all? What's the point? There is no point, right? The whole, the whole, the whole point of saying it in Latin, I thought, was, um, was to preserve that, that uh, that meaning of the words that you get from using a dead language. We sold last month, I believe, a bunch of uh, vinyl 
on our web store. Some freaks of atavism and wiggle. Some signs, some not. Uh, apparently, they didn't go out in a timely fashion. People were very politely, I might add, um, questioning, sending questions about that, posting questions on social media about that. As far as I know, as of today, that has been resolved. If for some reason you either haven't gotten your order or haven't gotten tracking information uh, for your order, which you should have by now, there's a form you can fill out on the website uh, to contact our uh, web store guy, or if that fails, message us on our Facebook page, because if that doesn't get addressed, I also have access to that page, and I, I'm not real good about checking it, but I can check it now and then make sure that gets handled. But rest assured, we will get you what's yours, and um, we're not screwing you over or anything. I don't know exactly what happened, honestly, but, um, but to my knowledge, it's been resolved. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is that we are recording a new Screeching Weasel album. As of Saturday, Pierre had finished tracking all the drums, and it sounds great. I'm really excited about this record. It's um, There are some older songs in it, but the bulk of it was is new stuff that I wrote over the winter. Uh, some of it is new old stuff, because I, I had some... I had a bunch of songs written for Act Two of Baby Fat that for some reason when I would go back and listen to old stuff, which is what songwriters do, you go back, listen to your old demos, is there a verse I can nick from here and match it up with a bridge from over there and a chorus from down the street, whatever. Uh, somehow the Act Two Baby Fat stuff, which of course was never recorded or released, it was only in demo form, but somehow that got lost in the shuffle. So I only recently rediscovered that. So there's a couple tunes from there that I reworked new lyrics and and uh, a new part here or there. Uh, but a lot of it was just kind of written on the spot and and uh, really, really good songs, I think. And I've had uh, ample time to work on the lyrics um, and the guys are getting, you know, we're making sure that everybody, we're not rushing anything. We're making sure that everybody has plenty of time to come up with their parts. Probably the only one who was sort of rushed was Pierre. Uh, he didn't have a ton of time before he recorded, but thankfully he had a bunch of parts written and, and he worked with uh, Mike Kennedy, our producer, and just, uh, and f as far as I'm concerned, came up with some phenomenal stuff. And I'm really excited to see what our bass player, Poutine, does. Zach Brandner, he's going down there in about a month uh, down to Oklahoma to record his bass parts. I, I'll, put, I'll put the Screeching Weasel rhythm section up against anybody in punk rock. I think we've got just a tremendous uh, rhythm section. I think we heard that on the last album, but I think we're going to hear it on, on this new one even more. Very excited about it. I'm going to continue, of course, to tweak my lyrics. I think I'm going to be doing vocals maybe in September, possibly October. I'm not exactly sure when, and then we got to get Hunchback in there at some point. Uh, but good fun. Hopefully it'll come out next year. Uh, I'm going to try and do these podcasts. Like I said last time, I just, I, I keep not updating the newsletter because it takes a lot more time for me to write a newsletter than it does to do a podcast. So that's why I kind of switched over here. I, you know, I guess there are ways to set up like an RSS feed. You can get it on your favorite podcast and whatever. I haven't done any of that yet. I want to see if I can continue with this regularly. My plan is to do it every Monday ish. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but 
hopefully I'll be back on next Monday with another one. And until then, have a great week. And don't forget, I love you all very much. So long.